So here you are, first day, first afternoon on a meta retreat, on the first meta retreat at IRC. Yay. It makes me happy to say that. So here you are, and probably so much has happened today for you in the space of your mind, space of the body. Might have even the question has come up, why am I here? What am I doing here? So let's let's talk about that. Why metta? Why practice metta? Why be here? Why why do this cultivation thing anyway? Why? Why metta? But even before I talk about that, before I talk about that, I want to actually ask you a question. And that is what what brought you here? What brought you here? Why did you sign up months and months ago when you signed up for this and you committed and you decided not to cancel and you showed up? What? Why did you show up? Why did you decide to come? Why are you here? So I'm going to ask you to actually close your eyes for a moment. Let's just do this as a, as a guided reflection. As you're sitting, softening, relaxing your body. <sighs> Letting yourself settle in and soften. And now, allow this question to be dropped in. Into your body, not into your head. Into your body, into your belly. What is my intention for being here? What is my intention for being here? Why am I here? And then listen to see what comes up. What answer comes up? Maybe nothing. That's okay too. Maybe something. Whatever comes up, listen to it. Bow to it. And now let it go. Let that answer go. Ah, another deep breath, settling in, relaxing. Now I'm going to ask you to drop that question in one more time. Into your body, not into your head. Just drop it in. Why am I here? What is my intention? What is my highest intention? Why did I sign up? And again, allow whatever wants to come up to come up. Not so much thinking, but letting it show itself to you. Let yourself be surprised by what might come up. Now bowing to that answer and dropping and, and, and breathing out for one more pause. Ah, letting that answer go. And now for the third time, drop in the question. Again, into your body, not into your head. What is my intention? Why am I here? What is it 
I'm wishing for, I'm hoping for. I'd like there to be, I'd like to unfold or man be manifested in who I am. And just drop that question in and, and see what comes up again. Maybe nothing, maybe something. Listen deeply, even more deeply this time. Let yourself be even more surprised, possibly. And now bow to that also, whatever has come up, or maybe nothing has come up, and that's perfectly fine. Bowing to that and letting that go. Taking a deep breath. Ah, softening, letting go. And now whenever you're ready, opening your eyes. Did you all get something? Did something come up as to what your intention is? A show of hands. Yeah. So remember, remember what came up for you. Remember what came up as your intention. Because that intention is the reason why for you, you are here. And, and if, for, if for some of you, it's unclear at this point, you're not sure why you're here. That's great also. Live that question. Live the question itself. Why am I here? Why? Live that. Again, not from a head place, but from a visceral place. What brought me here? There's a reason why I was compelled to come and practice. There's something compelling about this. I may not understand it mentally, cognitively, but there's a reason I'm drawn to this. And live that. Live from that intention, even though... You may not have words for it, but there's a purity, there's a beauty, there's a drive, there's something there that's pulling you, driving you to be here, to practice. So metta, metta, translated as loving kindness, which is kind of an awkward word. It's not really an English word, as Donald was saying. But perhaps better translations are just love, friendliness, care, goodwill, warmth. It can be very simple. Just a feeling of friendliness. That's metta, or a feeling of warmth. Or just a smile that sometimes shows up on your face. When you see a stranger and you just say hello, that friendliness, that's metta. It's not that complicated. It's not that complicated. And sometimes on a metta retreat, we kind of expect that... Um, you know, we're going to feel these amazing, unconditional love and s for the whole universe, and we're going to merge with the universe. Yeah, that might happen. It may not happen, and that's perfectly okay. It might just be very subtle, 
very subtle, just planting one seed at a time, one seed at a time of friendliness, one seed at a time. At times it might seem utterly boring. The phrases might start driving you crazy, like repeating them after one after another. It's all okay. You can be part of this practice, but know that with every seed, with every phrase, with every moment that you're hanging in there, even when it's tough, when it, even when you're not feeling anything, you're still practicing. It's still working in ways that you can't know, that you have no idea. I have a favorite story from Sharon Salzberg that actually it's the story that she has told the most, I believe. Um, and it's also in one of her books, um, Loving Kindness. So, and I've seen her um, tell the story when I taught with her a couple years ago at IMS. And the story is that, um, so she had received the instructions for metta, the uh, practice of metta from her teacher. Um, and uh, in the East, and then she decided to do a retreat, a self-retreat. So, um, while others are doing a um, vipassana, a, an inside retreat, she chooses to do a self-retreat doing metta. So she spends, I forget how long now, it's not in her book, I forget how long she said, maybe a week or longer, uh, repeating the phrases, doing metta, and she doesn't really feel anything has happened. She doesn't really feel anything. Like, okay, and, and not only that, um, she, um, she says, these are her words, not mine, uh, she found the whole endeavor excruciatingly boring <laughs> and that she felt absolutely nothing. Yes, it says for seven days. So she did it for seven days, the length of your retreat. So she thought, well, that, that was an absolutely, you know, um, awful waste of seven days. I don't feel anything. It was excruciatingly boring. It was terrible. And then... Um, at the end of the seven days, she um, is in her room and she has a, a vase in her hand, and um, or actually a jar, and then she drops the jar and it shatters everywhere. And her immediate response um, that comes up in her mind is, wow, Sharon, you're a klutz, but I love you. Like, whoa. Where did that come from, she says. Um, and then she realizes in that moment, oh, something happened after all during those seven excruciatingly boring days. Something shifted. Something shifted in her mind. You're a klutz, but I love you anyway. But I love you. Something shifted in her relationship to herself. So if you find that nothing is happening, I'm just saying these phrases, it's excruciatingly boring. You just wait. You just wait. Because the test will come. And the results will come when you least expect it. When you least expect it. You'll be kinder to yourself when you least expect it. You'll be kinder to other people when you least expect it. So trust. Trust that this practice works in ways that your head your intellect, your well-developed intellect may not understand, may not appreciate, but trust that it works on a deeper level that we may not have really understand or have access to.
So friendliness, goodwill, care, love, warmth, affection. As you've noticed, the first traditional phrase that we've offered and um, those who have practiced in the past know this, it's basically, it's, it's a phrase, the first meta phrase, first loving kindness phrase is about safety. It's about safety. May I be safe and protected. And the way I like to say it, may I be safe and protected from inner and outer harm. I like that variation of it. And when I heard that phrase a long time ago, it was an interesting twist for me. Ah, may I be safe and protected? Okay, I get that. From inner and outer harm. Oh, inner harm. Ah, that's interesting concept. Then as I practiced more and more and more, I realized that most of the harm I was caused was inner harm, wasn't so much outer harm. There were not too many comets or such bad weather or accidents or trucks hitting me. You know, those things could happen. Outer harm, they do happen in life, not to say they don't happen. Other people harming you, of course, that happens. But most of it is inner harm. Most of it is me driving myself crazy in my mind by, why don't I do this or shouldn't I do that? Anybody identify with that? The inner harm? Anyone? <laughs> yeah. Of course. Of course. That's part of being human. It's part of being human. That's why we're here. That's why we're here. It's a cultivation. It's a practice to to offer ourselves safety. Offer offer ourselves safety from the inner harm. Offer ourselves safety offer safety to ourselves, that care, that love, that safety, like it's okay, it's okay. Stop beating yourself up, stop judging, stop, you know, you don't need to judge yourself or making even friends. Not that you don't have, don't have to stop it actually, let me drop that language, like it's okay, it's okay, it's okay. Offering yourself safety with the judgments, with the difficulty and offering other people safety. In fact, with this practice, we make ourselves safe, not just to ourselves, make our own mind self safe to ourselves, but we make it safe for others. We make our minds, we make our hearts, we make ourselves a refuge for others so that nobody has to be scared of us, afraid of us, feel unsafe around us, be afraid of what we might say, what we might do, how we might treat them how reactive we might get what, what, you know, with what they might say or do. Imagine what a huge gift that can be, that is, to the people you love, people you care about, even people you don't care about, to others, all beings. That gift of safety. Nobody needs to be afraid of you, scared of you. That gift of safety. People can come to you. You are their safe person. And of course, that starts with offering safety to ourselves, offering safety to our own mind. And I have to say, I really got this when I was doing the, uh, the month-long metta retreat. 
It's the safest I had ever felt in my own mind. It was just so peaceful and loving in my own mind. All those internal voices that caused me suffering, the judgments, the, you know, we've got all kinds of tapes playing, right? It felt so safe in my own mind and heart. It was just, that's why these practices are called uh, Brahma Viharas, heavenly abodes, heavenly, the p- heavenly dwellings. It feels like you're dwelling in the heavenly place. And it felt like I was dwelling in a heavenly place. It was like heaven on earth. It was so safe. It was so peaceful, so joyous, comfortable, loving inside my head, inside my body, inside my mind. It could be raining, it could be snowing, it doesn't matter. It's just, it's sunny inside. There are rainbows in my mind, in my heart. Safety, well-being, ease. Safety. It is said that the teaching of metta came about, and many of you probably know this story already, but for the benefit of those who don't know it, and actually those who do know it, listen to it with a fresh mind and see if there's something about it that can hit you differently now. That a group of monks, um, he had sent a group of monks to meditate in a forest that was inhabited by tree spirits. And it is said, that's the story, can take it with a grain of salt, but anyway, it is said that the tree spirits resented the monks' presence, so they they decided to scare them away. And they transformed themselves into ghoulish visions, making terrible shrieking sounds, creating awful smells. So you can take this literally or figuratively, (coughs) because we also have these tree spirits in our lives, right, making us miserable with ghoulish visions and shrieking sounds. So the monks, appropriately terrified, they fled the forest and they begged the Buddha, please, please, send us to meditate anywhere else but this forest. And the Buddha said, and he was compassionate, he said, I'm going to send you back to the very same forest. But he continued, but this time I'll give you the only protection you need. And at that time, he taught them the practice of metta, how to practice metta. So the monks, trusting in the compassion and wisdom of the Buddha, they took the only protection they needed, which was metta practice, and they went back to um, the uh, forest. And it is said that they practiced diligently for the spirits, And the spirits were so moved by the energy of the loving kindness that the monks generated that they decided they liked the monks after all. So they they decided to serve and protect them instead. So, So whether or not this parable is literally true, but really it's the inner meaning of it is about a mind filled with loving-kindness can really protect us from from fear, 
from fear, from ill will, from the difficulties, from the inner harm that I was talking about. It's really the protection from the inner harm. In so many ways, fear, ill will, anger, etc., etc. Metta is, is thought of as the antidote to, to many of these, as we will discuss, and, and you'll probably experience yourself throughout the week. So just to say again, you know, practice of metta is not about fabrication. It's not about forcing. It's not about making something happen, as Donald was talking about this morning. It's about cultivation. Okay, so what's the difference? So cultivation is when there's something already there and you stoke the fire. You cultivate it. Oh, yes, okay, great. You, You let it grow more. And the reason why it's a cultivation is that you all have metta. You all have it. You all have friendliness. You all have goodwill. It's, it's in you. It's a part of your human nature. Not a single one of you won't ha- doesn't have it. It's, it's, it is a part of being human. And I can cite lots of research articles, but I won't. But, but it's, it's part of nature of being. Babies have it. We all have it. So it's it's a, basically this this is a practice of bringing it about some more, cultivating it, and recognizing, inclining the mind towards it more. As the Buddha says, whatever you ponder upon becomes the inclination of your mind. So if you ponder upon kindness, it becomes the inclination of your mind. If you ponder upon cruelty, it becomes the inclination of your mind. If you ponder upon anger, it becomes the inclination of your mind. If you ponder upon friendliness, goodwill, care, safety, friendliness, it becomes the inclination of your mind. That's the first place your mind goes to. You drop the jar, the first place your mind goes to, you're a klutz, and I love you anyway. It's gentle. Instead of, well, you're a klutz, you can never get this right. I hate you, or you never get anywhere, right? The inclination of your mind becomes what you incline your mind to, what you ponder upon. So here we are practicing, inclining our minds towards what is already there, recognizing the care, little by little by little, not forcing it, but inclining it little by little. And if there is a feeling of of care and warmth towards, say, your benefactor, ah, you feel that, ah, you incline your mind towards that. And if it's not accessible in that moment, it's okay. Linguistically, you incline your mind. Linguistically, you'd be amazed the power of language, saying these phrases over and over, even if you're not feeling anything. The connection, the neural connections of power of language to emotions and to behavior, to patterns, um, it affects you in ways you cannot appreciate, you, you do not have cognitive access to necessarily. So it's a practice of cultivation, not forcing, not fabrication. And it'll become more clear to you as you practice. And I wanted to offer a practical suggestion uh, for for, uh, practicing in the next few days for this cultivation. And
and um, you know, the Buddha liked lists. He loved lists. So this is a list that I've come up with. And it even has an acronym, so it's easier to remember than the other lists of Eightfold Path and this and fact, seven factors. This one, the acronym I have for it is GRACE, G-R-A-C-E. May you practice with grace in the next seven days. So what is grace? G is for gentleness. You can't practice metta without G, without gentleness. You can't force it. It starts with being gentle with yourself. You know how last night I suggested, you know, if you're tired, first sit this morning, be gentle with yourself. Stay in bed, sleep a little extra. Gentleness, that's being gentle with yourself. Gentle with your mind, gentle with your heart, being gentle, G. G is actually overloaded, so there are two words for G. One is gentleness, the other one is gradual cultivation. This is a gradual practice. It's not going to happen overnight. You're not going to wake up tomorrow morning all of a sudden filled with metta for the whole world and yourself and safe in your mind. Wouldn't that be lovely? But it doesn't work that way. Nothing does. You know, being human, we know that already. It's gradual cultivation, gradual you hang in there, gradual, gradual. The R in grace, R is for receive. In metta, practicing metta, giving metta is as important as receiving metta. It's really important to receive metta. Make that part of your practice, receiving from yourself. As we will talk about, starting tomorrow, practice of sending and receiving metta for yourself. So not just giving, but receiving, because giving metta, receiving metta, is often the hardest thing for, for us in the West. That receiving care, receiving goodwill. Oh, no, 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 I don't deserve it. I don't deserve care and goodwill and... I don't deserve it. I can give it to you. I can be there for you, but I do, don't deserve it. So receiving, really bring that in as an important aspect of cultivation. Also, R is again overloaded. There are two R's. One is receive, and the other one is relax. 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 Be nurtured. Go out. Take a walk. Sit in the sun. Relax in the sun. Listen to the birds. Sit with a cup of tea. Relax. Let yourself receive. Metta, it's all around you. It's all around you. Let yourself receive the care that is all around you in this universe. Seen and unseen. The support that has been there for you for so many years. Brought you to where you are. Allow yourself to receive it, to appreciate it as much as possible, as much as possible, opening up to it. And it might show itself to you by sitting in the, by under the branches of a redwood tree and just receiving the shade. Whatever, whatever might be your opening, your creative way of opening to relaxing and receiving. Do that with metta. 
do that with this practice. Feel free to be creative. It doesn't look one way. G-R-A. A. A is for arrive every moment. You keep arriving every moment in this practice, in metta. It could happen that you spend minutes, hours in a storm, in a mind storm. It's okay. Arrive again. Arrive again and again and again every moment. Or maybe your mind goes on a thought and then comes back. Arrive again. Arrive again and again. Every moment is a new arrival. Every moment new new arrival. Don't judge yourself and don't beat yourself up. Well, I spent the last five minutes fantasizing about ice cream. It's okay. It's gone. Arrive again. Arrive again in this moment fresh. Fresh. You don't want to throw perfectly good moments after bad moments that are already gone. It's, it's a waste. Just let it go. It's a fresh moment. Arrive again. Arrive again and again. Practice is new. Surprise, surprise, A is also overloaded. There's another A, and that is accept. So accept or allow is, you know, practice may not, especially metta practice, may not look like what you expect it to look like. You might be sitting and wishing um, well, wishing ease for your dear friend, and all of a sudden the... uh, fight the two of you had 20 years ago which you haven't thought about for 20 years comes up and you're just as angry as you were 20 years ago like whoa i thought i was cultivating goodwill for you and now i'm all angry with you and and why why could you do this like whoa okay and that's okay that is a part of this practice you are not doing it wrong practice of metta it's also known as Here's a secret, a purification practice. And what is a purification practice? It means it brings up, it brings up and purifies things that are still there and may not have quite been processed completely. So they'll come, they'll move through, you give them space, you, you allow them to be, you can work with them with insight, um, with various practices or work with them you can also work with them with compassion and metta you know the anger you can hold it with compassion because guess who is suffering in that moment when you're angry at your friend is your friend suffering no they're doing whatever they're doing it's 20 years ago it's gone you are the one who's suffering in that moment you're in the fire of anger and anger doesn't feel good for a moment, it might feel make you feel good and energetic, but actually, anger is known as as having a um, honey tipped and a poisoned root. So the tip of anger sometimes it's honey tipped. It tastes like ooh, you feel strong, you feel powerful. You're angry. Has anyone ever felt that way with anger? Yeah, but actually, if you really sit with it. It's an icky, icky feeling. It's a poisoned root. It's, it does not feel good. In it's, I mean, again, in terms of cortisol and all the awful things that it does to your body and mind and heart, but also it just really feels bad. We often just feel the excitement 
of that honey tip, the power on top. But if we actually let that, let the investigation go deeper, we see how awful, wretched it really feels. So when we're angry, we're really the one suffering. So you can practice with this, you can work with purification whenever purification arrives, either with insight, either with um, mindfulness of emotions, if you know what that is, if you've practiced with that, mindfulness of emotions, for example, with RAIN, R-A-I-N practices. Um, And we can say more about these, but I won't in this moment, assuming that many of you already know. Or, or, if you don't know those, no worries, no problem. You can work with them with metta. You can work with them with compassion, which is what you're here for anyway. So you can work with, with, with the purification, with the difficulties by holding them. And at that moment, it doesn't become a practice of metta for your dear friend anymore. In that moment, the practice changes and go with it. Don't say, no, I want to continue to do. No, you, you can't continue to do metta for your friend. At that moment, when anger arises, now it's a practice of metta for yourself, compassion for yourself, because you're the one suffering. You're the one who's angry, holding the anger, holding the difficulty, holding all of that with a more spacious container of friendliness. How can I be with this? How can I be with this with friendliness and care? So continuing, G-R-A-C. C is for continuity. Continuity. It's very important in practice, especially in metta. It's... It's like a, um, you know, a pot. If um, if in the morning, as Donald and I are cooking breakfast, if we turn on the big pot and try to boil the water and then turn it off again two seconds later, and then turn it on again and turn it off again, you guys will never have oatmeal in the morning because it will never boil, right? It will never happen. Continuity, you turn it on and you stick with it. You stick with it. You stick with it. When you don't feel it, you stick with it. When you're walking, you stick with it. When you're going to the bathroom, you stick with it. When you're sitting and eating your lunch, you stick with it. When you're showering, you stick with it. When you're going to bed, you stick with it. When you go to your room and close the door, you stick with it. It's not like, oh, okay, I'm in my room now. All right, ah, time off. Okay, I'm done with this meta thing. Now I get to hang out. And You hang in there. You continue. You continue. Continuity. Continuity continuity. That is really the trick that I think is kind of the transition from beginner to not so beginner practitioner, which I realized years and years ago, because I, when I was a beginner, it was kind of like, you know, I would go to my room. Okay. I did my sitting. I did my walking. I'm in my room. Okay. But then when I realized, whoa, this continuity thing. And I remember actually there was a teacher, uh, Steve Armstrong, and he had this, um, thick, Bostonian accent, and he would say, continuity, continuity, and it just kind of stuck in my mind. What is he talking about, this continuity thing? So I tried it. What if I just continued practice every moment, didn't stop? Not in a forced way, but when I got off the cushion, I would continue and kind of like, wow, a whole new world of practice opened to my eyes that I didn't know existed. Pretty wild. So C in grace is continuity. Check it out if you haven't. Continuity. 
The E in embody in um, in grace is for embodiment. Embodiment. This is not a heady practice so much, even though we are saying the phrases linguistically, but we are really trying to connect with a visceral sense, with a visceral sense, with a felt sense. For example, when you are practicing, say, metta for yourself, may I be safe, may I, may I be safe from inner and outer harm, harm. Can you conjure up a feeling of safety where you're sitting at IRC or lying in your bed in a so- with a soft, um, soft pillow under your head and a soft blanket over you? Can you feel that safety being protected? May I be safe and protected? Kind of connecting with the visceral feeling, embodiment, being embodied. So I'll just repeat what grace is, and I wish you grace this week. G is for gentleness and gradual cultivation. R is for receiving metta and relaxing. A is for arriving every moment and accepting slash allowing. C is for continuity. And E is for embodiment. So I'd like to say a little bit about the benefits of metta also. So first I'd like to share with you the traditional benefits of metta. There's a list of 11 benefits. They're kind of fun. It's from Anguttara Nikaya 11.16 for those who like references to the suttas. So here we go. Number one, you will sleep easily. And actually research shows this. There's you will wake easily. I like that. You will have pleasant dreams. Sounds nice. People will love you. Devas, which is celestial beings, angels, and animals will love you. Devas, celestial beings, will protect you. I'm not so sure about number seven, the next one. So external dangers such as poisons, weapons, and fire will not harm you. I wouldn't try it necessarily. (laughs) Number eight, your face will be radiant. Nine, your mind will be serene. So all of these so far, actually I can, you know, I I would agree with them, except for the seventh, which I haven't tried and wouldn't try. But the other one, sleeping easily, waking up easily, pleasant dreams, relationship with other people, devas, I'm not so sure about animals, yeah, Um, radiant. um, I can see that, I can feel that with people who have a sense of metta, have a sense of goodwill, you know. You know that for yourself, right? I don't have to tell you. Think, conjure up an image of someone who has a sense of goodwill, care in your life that you know they're just a caring, warm person. 
How do you feel about them when you think about them? Yeah. Okay, now think about someone who's like curmudgeonly or not had, doesn't have a sense of metta. Like, what comes up for you? So I think these are pretty, you know, I'm, I'm, I appreciate the, the sutra and, and, and in a way they are common sense. Um, but just to finish the, the list, um, the tenth one I don't know about yet. Um, you will die unconfused haven't been there yet. And number 11, you will be reborn in happy realms. That sounds pretty nice too. So there are also lots of studies, scientific studies, um, kind of with the, in a way, along the lines of the above. And I'll just mention a few um, before moving on. So there are the research studies on how the practice of metta and compassion affect um, increased positive emotions and happiness and decrease negative emotions and they increase life satisfaction, reduce depressive symptoms. You know, you just become happier. There's, they, they change psycholo- um, physiological changes, um, increasing the gray matter volume in barriers, areas related to emotion regulation, Telomere length, which is a biological marker of aging. This one was done with women. Um, Social connections uh, increases the feelings of social connection. Makes you, oh, this is a nice one. um, There was a study where it shows um, practicing loving kindness makes you more helpful, makes you a nicer person. Not very surprising, is it? I mean, it, so I, I'm an academic, but I have to say, uh, a lot of times academics, we, we test out things that are already kind of known, but we have to kind of test it out anyway and kind of say it's true. So not a lot of surprises here. Uh, increases empathic, empathetic response. And here's an important one. It decreases implicit bias towards social outgroups. And I think this is a really important one. So practicing loving kindness um, decreases the implicit bias you don't even know you have towards social outgroups. People who don't look like you are from a different race, different color, different nationality, different religion. It's pretty wild, isn't it? That this practice can change you in ways that you don't even understand you have these implicit biases and you can reduce that. And I think the world really needs that, both implicit and explicit bias. Another study shows uh, reduces self-criticism, which is, um, as um, as Donald was referring to, really this practice has a lot to do with the judgmental mind and really working with the judgmental mind. I can share this study with you later. Um, it also decreases migraines purportedly. It reduced mi- migraine migraine pain in in one um, study, decreased chronic pain in another study, etc., etc. So, but really, I I offer those just as yeah, they're there too. But really, practicing metta, I think, goes above and beyond these goodies. I mean, uh, yeah, happiness, yes, sign me up, great, less pain, more social connection, all of those are wonderful things. It makes for a happy, wonderful life. But I think 
the practice of metta really goes even deeper. It, it goes even deeper. It's really contemplative perspective and philosophy and why we are here. Besides the conventional goodies, it's really post-conventional reason. Which is, who do you want to be? What kind of world do you want to live in? And what imprint do you want to leave behind in the world? I like this quote from, from Jack Hornfield from his book, A Path with Heart. He says, in the stress and complexity of our lives, we may forget our deepest intentions that they most intentions but when people come to the end of their life and look back the questions that they most often ask are not usually how much is in my bank account how many books did i write how did i what did i build or the like if you have the privilege of being with the person who's aware at the time of his or her death you find the questions such a person asks are very simple did i love well did I live fully? Did I learn to let go? Did I love well? I think that's the question that comes up for me. At the end of the day, it really feels like that's what the most important thing when everything else is said and done and gone. And having lost my mom almost six weeks ago, that's really what felt important at the end, is just love. Nothing else, else mattered, nothing else matters. And looking back at her life, you know, it's interesting when someone passes, you, you spend more time reflecting on their lives than when they're alive. And you know, so many cousins, so many people, um, so many friends of hers, um, you know, when they called me to give their condolences and said, you know, she wasn't just my aunt, she was also a mother to me. She was like a mother to me. My mom was a safe person for so many people. And when I was reflecting on really her kindness. She seemed, she seemed to always smile. Um, and she set the, the bar of generosity and kindness so high that I'm not there. It just inspires me. After her death, I'm even more inspired to be kinder and more generous. Um, because really, that's what matters. Looking back at her legacy, at, at her imprint, is one of kindness. You know, everyone talked about her kindness, about her generosity. And, and that's what keeps giving. That's what keeps living on who you are, what, what imprint you make on the people whom, whom you touch. And, and when you privilege kindness, warmth, generosity, goodwill, care over other things, it, then you live through other people. You, it's your kindness that continues to give, continues to live and inspire. 
as I mentioned, my mom was my first meta teacher, and and um, I've said this before that for me she was the um, she was the incarnation of um, of unconditional love. whether for for all of us practicing whether we've had mothers or mother figures whom we can draw upon in our practice the feeling of safety or care or love that they provided for us or if we had a complicated relationship with our parents which is quite common very common then maybe finding our own way through the archetype of the mother or the caring or the loving being, finding our way through that archetype, finding our connection, the connection of our heart and feeling cared for and supported by that archetype, however we conjure that up. And we'll, we'll, come up, we'll make suggestions in the coming days to make that connection for us, because it can be a powerful source in this practice for receiving metta, for feeling cared for, and receiving love. So I like to end my talk with a poem. This poem, you've probably heard this, many of you, and it's worth repeating. It's called Kindness, and it's by Naomi Shihab Nye, who is a Palestinian-American poet. Before you know what kindness really is, you must lose things. Feel the future dissolve in a moment, like salt in a weakened broth. What you held in your hand, what you counted and carefully saved, all this must go, so you know how desolate the landscape can be between the regions of kindness. How you ride and ride, thinking the bus will never stop. The passengers eating maize and chicken will stare out of the window forever. Before you learn the tender gravity of kindness, you must travel where the Indian in a white poncho lies dead by the side of the road. You must see how this could be you, how he too was someone who journeyed through the night with plans and the simple breath that kept him alive. Before you know kindness as the deepest thing inside, 
I love this line. Before you know kindness as the deepest thing inside, you must know sorrow as the other deepest thing. You must wake up with sorrow. You must speak to it till your voice catches the thread of all sorrows and you see the size of the cloth. Then it is only kindness that makes sense anymore. Only kindness that ties your shoes and sends you out into the day to gaze at bread. Only kindness that raises its head from the crowd of the world to say, it is I you have been looking for, and then goes with you everywhere, like a shadow or a friend. To read the last part again. It's only kindness that raises its head from the crowd of the world to say, it is you, it is I you have been looking for, and then goes with you everywhere, like a shadow, our friend. And may kindness go with you everywhere, like a shadow, our friend. Let's just sit in silence for a moment and let the words settle. Thank you for your kind attention.